How's your Chinese New Year? Have you been feasting? You know, uh, it's wonderful to be in the Chinese New Year season. Do you know we are still in the Chinese New Year? We celebrate 15 days. Huh? So turn to your neighbor and say, Happy New Year to you. Because it's a rabbit year, right? <laughs> and then turn to the other one you never say and say, May you have a spiritual break too. <laughs> And today is also very special because it's a very special day for someone. Because Reverend Joel Liao turns 62 today. So shall we say happy birthday to Reverend Joel Liao? Or when he first comes, he say Reverend Joel. <laughs> now, last Sunday, I do not know whether you came to church or you were watching the service online, but Pastor Kim Yong was teaching us about food, right? At first, I thought he was going to describe the meaning of fu because Chinese character fu, you know, there's a lot of meaning behind it. But then he said, may you be empowered to be purposeful, merciful, joyful. <laughs> In your interaction with people, may you be cheerful, delightful, respectful. As you enter the new season, may you be fruitful, successful, bountiful. And for the rest of the year, may God help us to be more useful, beautiful, and wonderful. Have you missed that? I think that's a wonderful way to start, isn't it? Turn to your neighbor and say, you do look kind of beautiful and wonderful today. <laughs> now, with all the food, right, I also realize that sometimes in our interaction with people, it can be painful, sorrowful, and regretful. So it can go both ways, right? Now, especially when disagreements happen and when contracts are broken, you know, there's a story about a couple who draft a contract for their marriage because they came from the army. And so they say, you know what, when we got married, the wife said this, uh, the wife-to-be said this, when we got married, right, you'll be the general, I'll be the major. So the husband was very happy. Uh, but after three, five years of marriage, right, the husband got a bit upset. He said, how come you're making all the key decisions? He said, I told you, you're the general, so you make all the general decisions. I make all the major ones. Now, relationship in a marriage can be joyful and painful at the same time. Now, Christian marriage understands the holy matrimony as a covenant made between two persons. And this covenant is a bit different from the contract. Because sometimes we can just tear off our contract, right? But when you come before the presence of God and have the holy matrimony, you are standing before God and making a vow to say that we will be together until death. So today, we want to embark in a new series called the Covenant Series. Now, the, my Logos Bible software defines covenant as this, a contractual arrangement between God and a person or between human beings which required binding action from one or both parties. One party often had higher status in the arrangement. Now, if you understand God, He not just wants to be a witness for the covenant we made between one another. God Himself made a covenant with all of us. Amen? And today, as we start this new series called the Covenant Series, we do want to remember the first covenant God has made with us is with His whole creation, and it's found in this Bible. Although, you know, there are many covenants written in the Bible, the first time covenant was mentioned in the Bible was found in Genesis 6.18 when God told Abraham, I'm going to establish my covenant with you, come into the ark, and you know the story. And today, as we think of global covenant, we cannot just limit it to the time where God actually established a covenant with Noah because that was not really the first time covenant was established, because the first time covenant was established is actually at the beginning of the Bible. Can you say amen? And of course, as a church continue to have breakthrough this year, we want to remember the vision that God has given to us, which is KPI, right? K stands for... Ayo. I don't know K stands for know his word. Touch your neighbor and say you must know God's word. And so for the next nine sermons, you're going to know God's word because we're going to give you the big blueprint or the plan of God. 
And then P stands for Pursue Kingdom Values, and I stand for Impact Communities. I think there's a kind of... Uh, a system there, right? You must know his word first and then you pursue God's value, kingdom values, so that we can make a difference. Now, a little bit of Bible quiz, simple one. Okay, are you ready for this? What is this? Okay, what does Bible mean? Sorry? It came from the word, Greek word called Biblia. Ta Biblia, which means the books. So, meaning to say that the Bible you have is not just one book. It is made up of 66 books. How many in the Old Testament? 39. Okay, so an easy way to remember the New Testament is 3 times 9 is 27. So there's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and that's the English Bible we have. But do you know that this is written over a span of more than 1,500 years and more than 40 authors have written in this? And all of them wrote about their relationship, their encounter with God, and there is a continuous thread of God's plan in the 66 books. You know, when uh, I was teaching in the Sunday school, we always say this to help the children remember, Bible stands for basic instruction before leaving earth. So you better know what is written there. And for the younger generation, we always tell them, you know, because they are a feeling generation, this is God's love letter to you. Uh, But I think the best definition I found was one in more college, and it says this, the Bible is essentially about God's gracious actions to reverse the effects of human sin to establish a new creation. Let me say that one more time. The Bible is essentially God's gracious acts to reverse the effects of human sin to start a new creation. And so when we think about the covenant series, we must remember at the very beginning, even before the word covenant was stated, God has established a covenant with all humanity. But then it was broken and God soon have to start his redemption plan. And so, the rest of the Bible talks about this. It's God's gracious acts to reverse the effects of human sin to establish a new creation. In another way of putting, it is God keeping his covenant to his people by establishing the kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ. So this is not just a scientific book, although it contains science. This is not just a historical book, although it has history. It is essentially a theological book. It is written with different genres by different people. And reading the material would require us to understand its context and its content. All right? You read the content, but you must understand in the context it was written, in the historical and geographical context. Just like, for example, when you read in the Songs of Solomon when he was describing the bride, he said, your neck is like an ivory tower. <laughs> now, that is meant to be a metaphor, right? Your eyes like pools in Heshbon. So when you start to understand this, you will unpack the Bible from God's perspective. Amen? And if you are not reading, start reading because this is really God's love letter for us. Now, the other thing we must understand is that when we read the Bible, we must apply in context. For example, this fish. He read that to maintain a healthy body, you must drink at least 8 to 10 glasses of water per day. And that is his end. (laughs) So we must understand the Bible and also apply the principles for us. Now, to understand that, we must know that the Bible is written for a specific group of people, and to go into that era from that perspective is also important. Now, the English Bible we have is categorized in different ways, but the Bible that Jesus actually normally talks about is the Hebrew Bible. and the Old Testament, it is known as the Tanakh. Now, the Tanakh is not just a word like Biblia. The Tanakh is made up of three categories of how they put the Word of God together, namely the law, the prophets, and the writings. Torah, the first five books of the Bible that we have, is normally categorized in our history, you know, the history category from Genesis to Esther or Ezra, Esther. And, and so the Hebrew Bible, they will categorize it differently. So you have the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, 
and uh, in Greek it's called the Pentateuch. And then you have the Navin, the prophets, which includes Joshua and others. And then you have the Ketuvin, which has Songs of Solomon, the Psalms, and all these writings. So this is the way the Hebrew Bible are categorized. Now, why am I saying all this to you? Because I want you to first of all come to understand the covenant with the perspective of authorship. Now, we know that the first five books of the Bible is commonly known to be written by Moses, right? But did Moses write all of it? I don't think so because uh, in Deuteronomy 34, it says Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in Moab. Obviously, Moses did not write that, right? And uh, there's another verse that says Moses was the most humble person on earth. If you are really humble, you won't write that too. (laughs) And also, you must understand the first 11 chapters of Genesis is pretty much uh, passed down traditionally and orally. And so there's got all this tradition. In fact, if you look at the ancient Chinese culture, there's a lot of similarities with the Chinese words that points to the same God who created the whole universe. And so as we begin to understand this, we must understand that right now as we begin the, with the Torah, it is like Moses speaking to a group of people, the Israelites, who just came out of Egypt. Now, if you're one of them, you'll be listening to like the grandfather's story, right? <laughs> sitting there, I would imagine myself sitting there, and then Moses leading in and telling them, this is the story of creation. This is the story how we end up here. This is the story how we, the chosen people, are supposed to go into the promised land. Now, to have that in mind will help you have a clear, big picture of what God is doing. So we want to start off with Genesis. The Hebrew word here basically means the beginning. And as I said, the 11 chapters at the very beginning is like an introduction of the foundation of humanity. It is like the history book for all human race because this is where it tells the story of how we were created. And every culture, there's a sort of a creation story. And I think this story allows us to understand how God created the universe, created humanity, And this was the perfect picture that God has, that he has a relationship with human beings. And he put them in the Garden of Eden, and this is a perfect picture of that kingdom, that covenant that God wants to establish with all humanity. But what happened was that man fall. And because of the fall, the effects of sin grew even with the civilization of humanity. And as that happened in Genesis 6, the Bible says that God regretted that he made man. Now, because of that, God has to look to Noah. Now, this is a covenant that was first established, but it was a reminder of the covenant that he first made in creating the world in the first place. Are you following me? Now, so Noah received this covenant and then went into the ark and then the family was saved and then we have the origins of all the different races, right? Because all the sons go to different places and then we have the Chinese race, the Indian race and other races. Now, this is the 11 chapters and this is like the prologue because this is not really what the entire Bible is all about. Because Noah just kickstarts something for the entire human race. And, and from there, at Genesis 9... Verse 9, this is what God said to Noah and his sons. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And then in verse 11, establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And so God actually made a covenant that is binding to himself. That's binding, so binding that he said, I will never again break this promise. And this is a solemn vow that God made to himself, which as simple as it is, it is a promise for us. It is a promise that God is going to keep his covenant with his people, humanity. And so today, I sum up the first covenant series. I titled it as God's promise to his people. Turn to your neighbor and say, God has a promise for you. And this promise first started with understanding this covenant that he's made with humanity. Will God actually break his promise? Because humans actually break our promises every now and then, right? But God will never. In fact, in 2 Peter 
Chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so when you really start this God's plan, you really want to start with chapter 12 because the 11th chapter set the base for humanity and then chapter 12 is really what we are in for. And so at the beginning of the covenant series, we must understand that God actually started his redemption plan with Abraham. So from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50, this is all these chapters that talk about the patriarchs, the patriarchs of the Jewish history. And Genesis 12 to Genesis 38, there are many, many different stories and narratives. We're not going to go into detail, but we remember the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then later on, for the next 12 chapters, we talk about Joseph, how he became the prime minister of Egypt. Why is it so important for Moses at this moment talking to Israel, the Israelites who has came out of Egypt? Why is it so important to spend 12 chapters to tell them about Joseph? Because for a time in their life when they were born, they, they probably may not have heard of Joseph because they have been slaves for a long time in Egypt, and they must be wondering, why am I a slave here? Why do I need to get out of Egypt? Are you with me? And so with this big picture, you must understand that Moses was telling them all this story, and today we want to start really with Abraham. Because the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant, I would think, as the first covenant that God has established by choosing a people of, to start his redemption plan. And so the agenda sets from Genesis 12 to the rest of the Bible. So this is important. So can we read Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3 together? Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Many blessings here. <laughs> Many fool here. Oh, this is the right fool. Huh? Now, when we understand the blessing God is about to give you, it has got to do with God's initiative, isn't it? Now, there are five I will repeated here. You know, I will show you, I will bless you, I will curse those who dishonor you. So there is a lot about God keeping His promise in His own initiative. Amen? And so when we begin to understand God's keeping His promise, we must understand right from the start that God has called Abraham. Come, I'm going to show you. And there are three things that's mentioned here. One is I'm going to show you a land that I'm going to give to you, and next, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, come to think of it, at this point of time, Abraham was about 75 years old. How many of you are below 75? Raise your hands. Okay, so you got a chance, right? Because at 75, God may call you to do something very extraordinary. So, Reverend Joel Leo, you are still young. <laughs> you know, at 75 years old, now Abraham heard this call, and then you are about to go and embark into this plan of God, this purpose of God. I do not know how he felt about that, but then this is God's calling on him. And then I'm going to make you a great nation. And not just that, you're not just going to be a great nation, you're going to bless the rest of the people. Through you, you will be a blessing to others. And this threefold blessing is what I would think as the concept of the kingdom of God. Now, it started right at Eden because the kingdom of God, as summarized by Graham's Ghostworthy, is this. Kingdom of God is about God's people in God's place under God's rule. Can you say that with me? God, kingdom of God is God's people in God's place 
under God's rule. So that's the idea of the kingdom of God, the idea of heaven, if you may say that. The idea that when God created the universe and then he created the earth and he created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden. Can you see that picture? That's the picture that, you know, there's a relationship with human beings and then they, they were situated in the garden of Eden and they, they are under God's rule. So some people said this, you know, for God to have his gracious act to reverse the effects of sin to create a new creation is for us actually to return back to Eden. Amen? And so for all you know, when you reach heaven, it will look something like Eden, that kind of picture, that kind of vision. That's the kingdom of God. But right now, God has reversed something with Noah and then he chose Abraham because the people of God here is going to be the prototype of this God's people. They are going to be the one that's going to become the people that belongs to Yahweh. And so the promised kingdom is like this. It's telling Abraham, look, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to go to this place. This is the promised land. And all of you are going to live under my rule so that other nations will understand that I am Yahweh. I am God who created the entire universe. Are you with me? But... Did Israel fail? Yes, they did. And so the story continued, and you know the story until the New Testament, but we want to continue to have the framework where Moses was telling them right now with the Israelites out of Egypt listening intently, and they must be wondering, so we are the prototype, we are supposed to be the people, we are growing here, and this is where the story starts. And for us to keep close to the promise of God, we require faith. It requires faith. In Hebrews 11 verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So now, first of all, we must understand that this is where Abraham was born or Abraham was born at that point of time. Now, his father Terah has three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. In Genesis 11.31, it says that Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran. Haran was not there because Haran already died. The Bible says that Haran died in the presence of Terah. And so with the grandson, Lot, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, they left on foot uh, at that point of time to go to Haran. Now, not much has been spoken about Abraham's life, but there's some Jewish history that talks about Terah. Now, I do not know whether this is true, but the Jewish history goes like this, that Terah was an officer of Nimrod. So those of you who have studied some extra-biblical materials, you will understand there's a phrase in Genesis 10 that talks about a person named Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty man before the Lord. Now, if you study the word Nimrod, it actually has a rebellious term towards it. And so people believe, if you, if you read the context, they Nimrod was the one that built cities, Nineveh, built Babel. And under Nimrod's ruling, idolatry happened. And so the story continued to say that Terah was an officer of Nimrod, and he had 12 of these statues of God set in his house. And the story said that when Abraham was young, he saw all these idols looking at one another and he crashed all of them except one big one and then put a hammer in his hand. When the father came back, Terah came back, he said, who did this? He said, there, this one, no? <laughs> and I, I think that is a reflection. The Jewish history was trying to show a reflection of Abraham's mindset. Because you must understand that people those days, you know, live a long time and they probably also have heard the history of how creation started. And they must be wondering, who is this God? And when they created all these idols, it was something that Abraham actually not want to believe. And the Bible says that Terah and Abraham actually left to the land of Canaan. This is what the Bible said. Now, where did they settle down? They settled down in Haran, which is actually the same name as his dead son. I do not know whether there's any meaning towards that, but I know that they settled there. And friends, you know what? Sometimes we settle for a place where we are not supposed to be at. And this morning, as you're listening to the Word of God, maybe God is asking you to go somewhere, do something that is extraordinary. Don't settle for something less. Amen? 
Don't settle for something less. And so it is at this point of time that Abraham actually heard God telling him, you know what, I'm going to bring you to the land, I'm going to make you a great nation, and you will be a blessing to others. And if you are Abraham, at this point of time, you must think, you know, where are you going? You say, yes, right? Yes, I'm going to be part of this redemptive plan. God, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go. And then you turn to your wife, Sarai, and say, you know, God has called us to go. And then Sarai turned around and said, go where? And then Abraham like, uh... Then Sarah said, you go, go back to Ur, Ur of Kelton. No, 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 Ur, as in, I do not know where. And, and that takes a lot of faith, isn't it? It takes a lot of courage, takes a lot of faith just to go. So I suppose they continued to the land of Canaan, and that's what they did. So they went down and kind of, you know, end up somewhere in Egypt, <laughs> and then live at Nomads. And, and, and I, I think that this is a, a moment for us to reflect and think that if you want to really keep God's promise, it requires faith. I remember the time when I was also called to go somewhere, to go to the Bible college. <laughs> you know, there was a time when I was looking for a Bible college, and when I got married, I, I chose a place uh, in Tasmania, together with my wife, of course, uh, to go to Tasmania for honeymoon. And my mission mentor told me there's a Bible college there under World Evangelization for Christ, the Missions College, you should check it out. And so I said, oh, great. And so we went up the plane, and on the plane, my wife asked me, I thought you want to go to the Bible college. What is the address? I said, oh, I forgot to ask. <laughs> I actually didn't know where it was. And so I said, ah, never mind, let's just trust God. And, and basically, I was just lazy. <laughs> I did not make any plans at all. I was just saying, yes, whatever, <laughs> Chris, Sarah, Sarah, how the Spirit leads, I will follow. I mean, it, it was sometimes, some, sometimes a bit cop out. But anyway, that's what I did. So we landed in Tasmania, in Launceston, and... I came down, you know, we checked into the hotel. We were in our you know, like mid-twenties. Huh? You know, the hotel people were looking at us like we have eloped or something. <laughs> Give us the dirty look when we check into the hotel. And then I said, today is Sunday. We should go to church. And then I dragged my wife to church. Huh? So we walked for a while, and then we found this Presbyterian church. While we were going in, there were a lot of people coming out because service was over. <laughs> And so one of them saw us and said that, why don't you come at 7 p.m.? There's a youth service. I said, oh, youth service. I would like to come back. So as we walked back to our hotel, we actually saw a couple of churches that we missed that are nearer to our hotel. But I told my wife, you know, we have given word to go back to the youth service. I want to see how the youth service is like. So let's go back there. 7 p.m., we show up at the church. And uh, to my shock, there are only 20 people. There were only 20 people and about five youths or three youths. <laughs> and they're all old people. <laughs> And so I was a bit disappointed, but the preaching was good. After the preaching, a couple, elderly couple, tapped my shoulder and said, do you understand what was spoken? I said, yes, I do. We are Singaporeans. We understand English. Thank you very much. And then the next question was this, have you visited the WAC Bible College? I said, what do you say? WAC Bible College. Yeah, that was what we were supposed to visit, but I didn't know where it was. And then we found out they were the founders of the college. Now, this is not coincidence. This is like God plan, right? So that's, that's part of me and say, yeah, that's why we follow the Spirit of God, don't plan so much. <laughs> but however, we decided kind of like we planned on Thursday, we should go there because there's a free day for us. But on Wednesday, I did something crazy. I told my wife, you know, we have some time tonight. Let's go to the Bible college. So we called up the college, but nobody picked up the phone. And at 5 p.m., we went to the police with an address. Can you teach us how to go to this Bible college? He directed us to the bus station, and we went up the bus. The bus driver said, this is the last bus. Let me warn you. And the place you are going is the outskirts of the city. And if I drop you there, there's no bus coming back. And it's a very far away place. So I suggest you just take a round trip and come back tomorrow. So I said, okay, maybe I'm too excited. So... I went there, and while we were on the bus, we were taking pictures in the bus. People were laughing at us. And then, right at the stop, I told my wife, let's go by faith. So I pulled her down, and then, without her agreement, actually, so we just came down. And lo and behold, when we went into college, the whole college, everybody was celebrating. And then they told us, if you have come tomorrow, there will be no one in the college because everybody will be out for a spiritual retreat. Praise God for obeying sometimes that, you know, radical faith that you have, right? And to cut the long story short, we went there, 
was supposed to go back there to study, but we came back from a honeymoon. I registered as a student. My wife registered as a student. He, she studied for two years. I studied for three years. And that's how we ended up in the Bible college. And that's a story sometimes of not knowing what you are doing, but trusting that God is sovereign to lead you. Not knowing where you are heading, but having an understanding that I want to be on an adventure with God. And I think that this morning as you are listening to this, maybe God is nudging you to stand up. Stop thinking about your misery. Stop thinking about the painful, sorrowful, regretful thing. Think of the purposeful, merciful things that God has for you. And you might need to stand up and say, go. And God is calling you by faith. And you need to respond in faith. And Genesis 15, 5 to 6, it says this. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. This is to Abraham. If you are able to number them, and he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, when we think of faith, we always think of, of course, doing something, because faith requires action. But at the same time, over here, we must understand faith starts from believing. Everybody say, believing. You need to start believing, first of all, in God. Believing in a God who wants to establish this covenant with people. And God is the one that we need to trust. And he believed the Lord and he was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul affirms that by quoting the very exact verse to the Romans and say that in the first place, there was no real action. It was belief in God. It was faith in believing God. And this requires faith. For us to trust in the promise that God has given to all of us, it requires faith and it also requires patience. In fact, faith requires patience. In Genesis 15, Abraham kind of asked, how is this going to happen because he has no children at all? You want me to establish a people group and I don't even have a son? And then you read in the Bible that in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, so Abraham left and as the Lord had told him and Lord went with him, Abraham was 75 years old. So he was 75 when he left Haran. Now, in Genesis 21, verse 5, it says, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Do the math and you will know that from promise to fulfillment, it is a total of 25 years. How many of you are waiting for a promise to happen? You pray for something and you're waiting for something to happen and you waited for two days and you get very impatient and you give up. Or you pray for... Two weeks or maybe two months, but Abraham has to wait for 25 years. 25 years for the fulfillment of one offspring, his son. You know, in a waiting period, sometimes we get impatient and we forgot the purpose God has for the church, the purpose God has for your family. And it's like, you know, those doctors, I hope it didn't happen to any of the surgeons here, that they ask, remind me what we're doing here. Can you imagine that? You know, there's a joke about this couple. The husband was thanking God and saying, you know, God, I just want to thank you. Why you make my wife so beautiful, so smart, so good in cooking? And God replied, say, so that you will love her more. La. But then, God, I want to complain. Why you make her so forgetful? And then God say, so that she will love you more. La. You know, sometimes it's good to be forgetful. Sometimes I wish that my wife is a bit forgetful. <laughs> uh, but in this case... We need to remember the very covenant and promise God has given to us. We need to forget all the offenses that people did to us. Sometimes we did the opposite, right? We remember all the offenses. We remember all the bad things that happened. And we say, we're not going to serve anymore because of this person. Not because of God, because of this person. And then you say, God, you are the one that put him here. Actually, a lot of times God put him here or put the, her there to sanctify us so that we can become more Christ-like. Amen. All right, don't tell your wife that she's the one, okay? Now, did, God, did Abraham fully understand God's plan? Now, I would say that in the process of faith, in the process of keeping the promise, as he was waiting patiently, he has doubts, or he has his own way of fulfilling the promise, isn't it? Because in Genesis 15, when God told Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, 
Abraham was thinking like, you know, you are referring to my servant, right? My servant, Eliza, surely he will be my adopted son. Surely he will be the one that will be the people group that you said. And then God said, no, that's not my plan. And then when God told Abraham, you need to circumcise all the males, and by then Ishmael was born, but from Hagar. And then Abraham thought to himself, surely this is the son that God was referring to. And God said, that's not my plan. And then in Genesis 18, even when God was revealing the plan through the angels that he sent, Sarah was secretly laughing and said, surely that is not going to happen because, you know, I could never give birth anymore. But by faith, it happened. And in Hebrews, you can read part of the description of how the Jewish might understand this, that it is all part of God's plan by faith and with patience. I do not know whether you have been praying for something and God has spoken something deeply to you and you are waiting. For me, do you know that actually when I came to this church, I was invited by my ex-girlfriend, which is my wife now, right? All right? And I was sitting there just behind a console one day in 1999. And Pastor Derek Hong was preaching on this stage. And as I was listening, I heard a voice, or rather I had a thought. I said, one day you're going to preach on this stage. And I laughed to myself like Sarah. <laughs> you must be joking, God. And in 2007, I preached my first message in the Chinese church here. Praise God, because when God said something, it will happen. But be patient and be bold and courageous. In 2009, when I was leading the youth, I was preparing a Bible study material. One day, as I was preparing, you know, those thoughts came randomly because I was doing a Bible study that has nothing to do with childbearing. And then suddenly, I just felt like God told me, you're going to have a son. You must understand this. I have two daughters already, and my, my wife told me, close shop already. And I said, this is not going to happen. But anyway, since you said it, I'm going to write it down and in case it happened, right? So 2009, in a Bible study, I wrote down, 2011, my cute little boy was born. 2006, when I was leading the Chinese youth, I remember a prayer meeting where there was another pastor. We were praying, and then she declared this. She said that in a few years' time, we're going to produce our own album. And the context was in the midst of some of these youth who didn't even believe in their own songs. They wrote songs and they invited friends and the whole concert was a flop because it was quite bad. Out of beat, out of tempo, I think Eunice will fail the audition. <laughs> but however, in 2011, I do not know whether you remember, we launched our first album. And I think to myself, if we have not been faithfully waiting, persistently pursuing, we may not see this come to pass. And sometimes it's like this, while we are waiting, you have forgotten. And the Bible says in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and I shall succeed in the thing which I send it. So God sent his word and it will accomplish what he has set as his purpose. Amen. And sometimes we think that it did not happen or sometimes we think that whatever happened is not up to our expectation. It is because it is your purpose and not God's purpose. We need the wisdom of God to discern God's plan, God's purpose. But in this grand picture that God is giving to us, I tell you, God has a promise to establish the kingdom of God in this place. Amen? And that's why as we begin to understand this, we must not forget. And finally, it not just requires faith, not just requires patience, it requires obedience. Now in Genesis 17, the whole story comes about when God again repeatedly say covenant, covenant, covenant. And this is the covenant that you shall have. The covenant to actually circumcise every male. And so covenant was repeated many times and this is the time where Abraham has to do something now. He has to do something because in verse 12, it says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Meaning to say that whoever is living in your house 
any guest that's staying there for a long period of time, you have to circumcise. And, and, and he says this in verse 13, Both he who is born in your house and who, he who is bought with your money, those slaves, your servants, all of them must be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh and everlasting covenant. This is a covenant that God has established that is forever. Now it is actually circumcision. It's a sign of that covenant that God first established in creation. Wow. So how many of you are circumcised? <laughs> Why are we not circumcised? Because from the old covenant to the new covenant, God later on revealed that Jesus Christ came to remind us that God wants a circumcision of the heart. And the sign and the symbol, the outward expression in the olden days was circumcision. And in the New Testament, Paul says this, in Colossians, Colossians 2, 11, 12. Can we read that together? In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So in baptism, the our expression of the covenant that we have in God. And this is for us. This is for us as we come in faith to understand God, to be in covenant relationship with Him, that we are supposed to believe and be baptized. And for those of you who are still thinking about baptism, now remember in the early days, to believe and baptize is synonym. When you believe, you will be baptized. And this is the covenantal sign that God has for us. So to enter into a covenantal relationship through our obedience, it is through baptism. Through baptism. And so I think it's important for us to understand that it comes from this concept. And I want to end off with a fresh testimony, fresh testimony for you. Because a few days ago in Chinese New Year, the third day, I had a visit from a family. Now, the context of this is I met them six years ago. They were previously from China. They worked in Singapore. They got their PR. Now, six years ago, my wife and I, we were driving down out of our car park, and it started to drizzle. We saw this man... He was holding a baby, and there was a lady beside her, which is not the wife. It was actually his sister. And they were holding a newborn baby, and it started to drizzle. And as I was coming out of the car park, I saw them, and they were waiting for a taxi. And this was before grab service. I turned to my wife, I said, it's drizzling, we should pick them up and send them to the place that they want to go. Uh, I used to do that. I, I always tell people, you know, MAD, make a difference, make a difference to anybody you, you, you meet. So I wanted to do that. And uh, normally you will ask them, where are you going? Do you want to come, right? So I, I did that. I actually opened the door. I said, it's raining, you should come up. <laughs> and they, they actually came up. <laughs> and after that, the wife told me he was very upset. Lah. She said, how can you go up to a stranger's car? <laughs> anyway, they wanted to go to Mount Avenue, so we sent them to Mount Avenue. I prayed for them, and that's it. But six months later, I saw a family playing outside near my place, and I had some pamphlet, our birthday party, and I was involved in children's ministry. And so I felt like I should give them a birthday party pamphlet to invite the children to go to the birthday party. So I actually went there, introduced myself, and the husband saw me. I had forgotten about him. And he said, you are the guy who sent us, you remember? And I said, I can't remember. I sent many people, but I don't know who you are. And finally, it clicked. And so I invited them to cut a long story short. They came to church. And uh, the wife was very touched by the service. And then the wife cried in the service. And she said the sinner's prayer. So I went back to full out with her. And then after she cried, she went back home, stopped crying, started to think about it. She said, actually, I don't want to be a Christian. <laughs> you know, you have experience like this. I said, okay. And so for the last few years, we have been uh, visiting them. And then I also realized that uh, when the eldest son was about to be admitted to, uh, was about to start primary school, it was in the same school as Caleb. So they were in primary one together. And so after years of uh, touching base, reaching out, finally, I think the wife, Lee Hong, said, you know, I just want you to know, I thank you a lot for your hospitality, but... Right now, what I'm concerned about is money. I want to earn more money. 
And every time I met her, she would always be talking about the fights between the husband and wife. And so we kind of lost contact during COVID. And so a few days ago, Chinese New Year Day 3, she called me up and she said, can I visit you? I said, sure. And when I saw her, she was full of joy. And she came to my place, sat down, and the first thing she said, I just want you to know I'm baptized already in another church. Wow. Come on, let's give glory to God. I, I think that many people have reached out to them. I'm not the only one. I, I can be part of this, but I just to hear that. And then I asked, what happened? You said that, you know, uh, I was afraid to tell you because I didn't go to your church. I said, it's okay, don't worry. <laughs> you can go to any church as long as it's a Bible-believing church. And so she was worshipping there and she said, my husband started attending church with me. She's, he's, he's not a Christian. He was, she's like me last time. I'm, I think one day he'll be a Christian. And I asked the husband, do you see any change in your wife? He said, of course. <laughs> and I, I just thought to myself as, as she shared how she was baptized, how she's serving, and she said, you know, I'm still getting to know God and things like that. I could see a work of miracle before me and to think that, you know, God, I'm thankful that many years back in 2000, you have called me to Tasmania to study, uh, not any other, you know, school, but to study about the Bible so that I can be part of this plan. Well, you don't have to go to the Bible college. Right now, we're going to share with you, you know, these nice sermons, that this plan is the same. It's the same for you. It's the same for me. And as we continue to think about obedience, faith, patience, you must understand that Abraham obeyed all the way to the point that he almost sacrificed his only son, which is a picture of what God did. The Father did send his only son for us. In Hebrews, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And in verse 18, it says that, in verse 19, it says that he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Now, Abraham had this picture in mind. He trusted God so much that even if God asked me to do something as ridiculous as killing my own son, I'm sure there's a plan for him to be resurrected. That's the kind of faith and belief Abraham has of God. And when Jesus Christ was crucified in Galatians, Paul says this to the church. Because Galatians is about, you know, many of these Christians wanting to circumcise themselves again. And Paul was so upset with that, he said, stop it! This is not the outward circumcision that we are concerned about. Because in Galatians 3.16, it says this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring, who is Christ. In verse 17, it says, This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. And so this is the story of Genesis, at least at the beginning. That as Abraham started this journey, and then he ended with Joseph becoming the prime minister. Now they understand this, and later on, Paul continued to use this as the gospel message. That whatever that comes after that, the law, the kingdom, it all points back to the very first plan that God originally had. You know, God could have snuffed out everything and restart, right? But He chose Abraham from heaven. The, the person who created the entire universe, the one who put the stars in place, look at one human being as minute, as small, as insignificant as Abraham and said, are you going to partner with me? There's a human and divine partnership in this. Are you going to join me in this purpose and mission? And Abraham said yes, and the rest was history. And so we ended today's message with the story of the Israel multiplying from one to many, from one person to the 12 tribes of Israel. And they multiplied and they stayed in Egypt. And of course, 430 years later, something happened. And this is a cliffhanger for you to come back to church next week. 
to hear Reverend Joel Liao is going to continue the Covenant series. Do you receive something today? If you receive something, let's give praise to God, shall we? Shall we all stand? Let's close with this song. To remember God is faithful and He keeps His promise. for us. We thank you that you love us so much that you will choose us to be in partnership with your plan. And we thank you for this grand plan that you sit here and listen to the word of God and sit here to listen just like the days when the Israelites are listening to Moses recording the story of how it happened. Lord, may our hearts resonate with the same purpose and vision you have for us. May you continue to use us to be a blessing to the nation. And so we know that when days when we doubt, when days when we have forgotten that purpose, you will remind us. Help us not to give up. Help us to stay in step and walk in step by faith with you. Thank you, Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen, amen. God bless you. Happy New Year again. If you need prayer, please come forward. The person who had back problem, please come forward. Our pastor wants to pray for you.